It seems like we've been hearing concerns about COVID variants for almost as long as we've been hearing about the coronavirus itself. We are seeing these variant strains when we sequence these viruses, and these are small variations in the gene sequences. Then, with 2021, came the promise of new vaccines. But around the same time, the emerging variants kept reminding us how unpredictable this virus is. The world shuts its doors on the UK. More than 40 countries ban arrivals amid fears of the new variant of COVID. There are a number of COVID-19 variants. Let's learn about another one, this time in South Africa. The new COVID-19 Brazilian variant, now confirmed in California. And now there's even more concern over one strain in particular, the Delta variant. If we compare the original strain early on in this pandemic and what we're dealing with now, for example, with Delta or Delta Plus, I mean, it's night and day. Has global inequality around science and technology helped the Delta variant spread? What will the effects be on parts of the world that aren't vaccinated yet? And what about parts of the world that are? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Dr. Saira Madad, who you just heard from, has been working on containing COVID from the beginning. I'm an infectious disease epidemiologist here in New York City. I help with the healthcare system response along with the public health response to COVID-19. That means she helps international bodies like the World Health Organization and the UN on the fight against Ebola, Zika, and other diseases. And she's helping India now with a surge of COVID cases caused by the Delta variant. A variant Dr. Anthony Fauci at the U.S. National Institutes of Health describes as a very serious threat. The Delta variant is currently the greatest threat in the U.S. to our attempt to eliminate COVID-19. But before we get too deep into the latest strain, you need to know a little bit more about Dr. Madad. Her whole life has been devoted to making sure the world is prepared to fight a pandemic. And it all started when she was just a kid. So from what I've read, your career dreams were inspired by the movies. Yeah, so at a very young age, I would say, you know, around the age of nine or ten, I watched the the movie Outbreak. A small monkey is captured, bound for a pet store in America. The animal carries a deadly virus. One of the best sellers now, given the current COVID-19 pandemic. I was watching this movie with my elder siblings, and the point that probably got me the most interested is not so much when they were out in the field trying to figure out what was happening, but in the hospital setting. Dr. Daniels, there's something I think you should see. When you're seeing so many people come in and get sick. It's airborne and they realized that the disease was airborne. And so while obviously in real life, things don't always happen the way that it happens in Hollywood movies, I think it did a good job depicting the fear and the anxiety that comes with it. And then the adrenaline rush. I think for me, having, for example, responded to Ebola, I remember coworkers sending me this card and they said, you know, when people were running away from Ebola, you were running towards it. What's wrong with you? But that's exactly it. You know, for us, it's helping people as much as we can. We're in it because we love what we do. And I'm glad that you're in it because it's ironic. You were inspired in part by a movie at the beginning of the pandemic when we're all at home, beginning our lockdowns, not leaving the house, scrolling 
through all of our streaming platforms looking for something to watch, I stumbled across a documentary on Netflix called Pandemic, How to Prevent an Outbreak. A hundred years ago, a deadly influenza virus infected hundreds of millions of people, somewhere in the order of 50 to 100 million deaths. Filmed in 2019 and then 2020 came the pandemic. And while it scared me, it also reassured me. I felt comforted because you were featured in it. Yeah, we have received reports of an outbreak of respiratory illness. Make sure you have a good seal. Give me a thumb. And you were featured showcasing your work on how to prevent and prepare for something that would eventually end up happening. Unofficial case count is about over 220 with eight deaths. So what do you make of how prepared the world actually was? A lot of what it was showing is maintaining a state of readiness, active preparedness. We need to make sure that not only do we have the infrastructure in place, but we have to continue to maintain it and make sure we're all up in our competencies, if you will. And when the curtain goes up, like in a true pandemic, you're actually seeing how things play out. Would COVID-19 take us all by surprise? Certainly. Were we surprised that this was going to happen? Absolutely not. We know that these are events that are going to continue to happen. And we just need to make sure that we are pivoting away from a just-in-time strategy to a just-in-case, knowing that these things are going to continue to happen. So speaking of surprises, we're hearing a lot right now about the newest COVID strain, the Delta variant. The Delta variant, first discovered in India, is making itself at home in Europe. The new Delta variant of the novel coronavirus is more infectious and health experts say a serious threat to eradicating the disease. The health ministry has confirmed a case of the first person to enter Chile from the U.S. infected with the Delta variant. Were you surprised by this variant? We know that just virology 101, viruses mutate, that's what they do. But I think what did surprise us is just the sheer magnitude of the various variants of concern that have been coming out from the beginning of this pandemic. This is certainly very concerning because the more that the virus spreads, the more it mutates and the more likelihood we are going to have more variants of concern. So today is Delta. Tomorrow it could be Zebra or any other kind of, you know, variant that we don't know about uh, that can emerge and threaten our vaccine-induced immunity. Can you trace for us the trail of this Delta variant as far as you know? Sure. What we know right now is that the Delta variant or the B1617 is started in India in October. It quickly became a variant of concern for many countries. And so certainly when we look at India and other countries, genomic surveillance is not as prevalent. Genomic surveillance is disease detective work. It's working with these small little clues or blueprints or genes to kind of piece together where it first started. It's hard work. It takes time. Could we have detected this Delta variant sooner? For example, in India, certainly if there was a better infrastructure, and that's where we want to make sure we're investing more in many countries around the world because it affects all of us. So what do we know about the Delta variant exactly? What is it? Is it more transmissible? Is it more deadly? So the Delta variant started in October, and now it has spread to over 80 countries around the world and probably many more. We just haven't been able to detect it because of poor surveillance in general. 
Originally, it was called a double mutant because it had two specific types of mutations on the spike protein that made it much more transmissible and much more virulent, if you will. And what we're seeing is that it has evolved over time. And you're now seeing the Delta Plus, which is a sublineage. And what we know about the Delta Plus is that, you know, it has some additional mutations and characteristics that makes it more transmissible. Dr. Madad says all of that means that mutations are continuing. And that's giving rise, she says, to even faster-growing variants. In terms of it having more of a, a severe outcome in a clinical course, that's still yet to be seen. There's studies being conducted right now. But it is much more transmissible. So when we look at, for example, the B117 or the alpha variant first detected in the UK, and everyone was saying it's more transmissible than the original SARS-CoV virus, when we talk about Delta, it is even more transmissible than the alpha variant. So that is very concerning. The UK government has delayed plans to lift the remaining COVID-19 restrictions in England. Prime Minister Boris Johnson made the announcement on Monday, citing the highly contagious Delta variant spreading rapidly throughout the country. You're seeing it having an impact in UK. You're seeing it have an impact in Israel and many countries around the world, and particularly those that are unvaccinated. So the big message here is if you are unvaccinated, you can protect yourself by getting a COVID-19 vaccine. The vaccines help ensure people stay out of the hospital with severe cases, and stay alive. But even for those who are vaccinated, Delta could still be a concern. Over the past week, a number of Israelis, fully vaccinated with the Pfizer vaccine, came down with infections from the Delta variant. Israel is reassessing its COVID regulations now and reimposing indoor mask use. And the World Health Organization seems to agree with that strategy. Dr. Marie-Angela Simo is an assistant director general with the WHO. Vaccine alone won't stop the community transmission. People need to continue to use masks consistently, be in ventilated spaces, hand hygiene, physical distance, avoid crowding. This still continues to be extremely important, even if you're vaccinated. There are also places around the world that the vast majority of people haven't been vaccinated at all. What kind of concerns are those parts of the world sharing in light of this new Delta variant? Vaccine equity needs to continue to be up front and center. We need to continue to discuss it. South Africa is the worst hit nation. It's just tightened its coronavirus restrictions. Hospitals in Uganda have reported a severe shortage of oxygen and they're no longer able to admit patients to intensive care. As we're seeing with many countries, you know, in South America and many parts of Asia, in Russia and many nations in Africa, they are seeing an uptick of cases. China plans to keep pandemic border restrictions in place for at least another year, even suspending some domestic flights for fear of a new outbreak. Russia recorded 619 COVID deaths on Saturday, its highest so far this year. Indonesia, too, has detected the Delta variant. There are starting to see these surges take place. And as we saw in India, we are very much likely to see more India-like surges in many other countries because we don't have enough vaccines distributed in those countries. If you're looking at the projections, we're looking at 2023 when we have more widespread vaccines available in those countries. So it is summer in the Northern Hemisphere and you have people planning travel. 
In the UK, you have people from around the world heading there for the Euro 2020. Here in the US, people are starting to head to Europe and other places around the world. What do you make of how safe we all are when there's the thinking in some of these places that the pandemic is over and we're in the clear now? The pandemic is far from over. You know, we have two pandemics. We have a pandemic that we're seeing in the resource-rich countries in the United States and the UK with the amazing vaccine rollout that we have going in these countries. And then we have another pandemic that is creating much more havoc. You're seeing many more cases and hospitalization and death in the lower income countries. For example, just in Africa, and you're seeing a pretty big hotspot there in multiple different nations. To better understand how the Delta variant is affecting this other pandemic on the African continent, we called up Dr. Salam Gay in Brazzaville, the capital of the Republic of Congo in Central Africa. He works with the World Health Organization there. I'm the regional emergency director for WHO, and I'm in charge of health emergencies. And Dr. Gay says for Africa, the timing of the Delta variant's arrival is not good. We do worry because there is around 1% of the population that are vaccinated and there is a new variant that arrived increasing and uh, what is happening in other parts of the world, for example in India, if it happened in Africa, we can expect results that are at least similar or worse. And because some parts of Africa are south of the equator, that means... Which is winter. Lesotho, South Africa, Iswatini, all those are actually in the winter season. And in some part, even it is snowing. And it is really amazing when you see the pictures. And uh, it uh, may really be very bad if they don't get the vaccine now. When the winter arrives, the transmissibility is higher. And if anyone or any country want to help, it is now, particularly for the southern part of Africa. And I would really suggest that the help may arrive and it may be too late for those who are already dead. Until now, African countries have been getting a hold of the vaccine in one of three ways, bilaterally. Where countries are working directly with company or other countries in order to get the vaccine directly. So far, uh, bilateral is providing more vaccine for the countries. The problem is that uh, those who are making the vaccine was already ordered by other countries that have a uh, higher processing power. And uh, when we compete with other countries, other countries won. Then there's COVAX, a partnership with the WHO that's working to get vaccines to the world's lower income countries. Africa is among those 92 countries. So far, uh, we have not uh, received all the vaccine that were planned for COVAX. And even if all the vaccine was planned, the maximum was 20%. And the African Union is helping to distribute some vaccines. But all in all, he says, it's not enough. It is very difficult in a pandemic like this, not only making people sick and killing people, but it is also impacting the health system in general. Many of the other diseases now are taking more force and attacking us more. The variant also are another factor we should take into consideration in this fight against COVID-19. But there is a little hope the African continent may start making its own mRNA vaccine one day. Actually, there is a tech hub. The first one identified is in South Africa. 
And it's going to go through a whole process of learning, of developing the infrastructure. But don't expect vaccines right away. According to our estimate, this vaccine will not be on the field on the next 9 to 12 months. It's hard to know what could happen with the Delta variant or any variant in that time. Back in the U.S., Dr. Madad says that should be a reminder not to get too complacent. Not yet. Here in the U.S., certainly the feeling is the pandemic is over, but that is not true. We need to be humble. We need to be nimble when it comes to this virus. So could it just be that the worst, the brunt of the pandemic for places like the United States is in the past and now? Uh, it's more in the clear versus what we're seeing in other countries. Yeah. So here in the United States, I certainly do not think we're going to see a significant surge of cases or we're not going to start seeing hospitals overwhelmed like we did. And the reason for that is because of vaccines and because we've been able to vaccinate so many of the elderly and vulnerable populations, you're not going to see that. I am comfortable enough to say that we have ended the acute phase of the pandemic. The governor of New York State, I'm in the state of New York, just declared an end to the emergency phase of the pandemic because we have so low number of cases and hospitalizations because of the vaccines. But we still have many pockets, for example, in the deep south where there's many people that are unvaccinated. And we're going to continue to see outbreaks and clusters in those areas. And it's going to threaten all of us. Especially children. Dr. Anthony Fauci at the National Institutes of Health warned that the Delta variant is the greatest threat to eliminating COVID in the U.S. But he's also been warning the public about the specific threat to kids. It isn't that they are more susceptible, but this virus is a more transmissible virus. Therefore, children will more likely get infected. And Dr. Madad says that should concern anyone who has children, even her own family. So Hassan, you're five years old. Tell me about how we protect ourselves against the virus. We wear a mask, we wash hands, and we don't and we go and we don't go to places where we have a lot of people. That's right. Children are still vulnerable, and because now they're making up more of the bulk number of cases of new infections because we don't have a vaccine for those under the age of 12, it is very concerning. I myself am a mother of three children under the age of eight. Obviously, all three are unvaccinated. And we are still wearing a mask. We're still avoiding crowded spaces, mixed gatherings because of our children. Even though I'm in an area that generally has low prevalence, I'm going to continue to do these public health measures until I know that we're able to get the pandemic under control around the world. When there's a vaccine for your age, would you want to get it? Yes, right away. So we don't get sick and we don't have to wear a mask. But we do have to for a little bit, and then we don't have to. Yeah. Now things are a little bit better, but we hope that all around the world the virus goes away, right? I hope for the virus goes away. All around the world. All around the world. Yeah. So, of course, we've done multiple stories on the pandemic, and it seems like with every story we do, the same problem keeps rising to the surface, and that is inequality of access to care, and now inequality of access to vaccines, and then the deadly effects of that. So we started this conversation looking at the warnings via Hollywood movies and outbreak, things like that. And then the warnings that you and your team and other scientists like you were making before the pandemic hit. Fast forward to where we are now. Do you think that the world has learned its lesson about the consequences of being prepared, about the consequences of unequal access? 
Yeah, that's an excellent question. And this is a question I got during the Ebola outbreak. This is a question I got during Zika. And all of these should have served as wake-up calls for everybody, for all nations. And I am certainly concerned that this current wake-up call that we have with the COVID-19 pandemic, it may not be heard loud enough. We need to work on other countries because as we've seen with this current pandemic we're in, it just takes that one person to start an outbreak. We need to work better and we need to make sure that the resource-rich countries are able to hold the hands of other countries and build their infrastructure. We need a public health and healthcare renaissance, not just in this country, but in all countries around the world. And as someone who has studied infectious diseases for so long and has, has worked with so many of them, how are you doing? now? Thank you for asking that question. I feel like it's probably the one of the first times when people have or someone has asked, how are you doing and how have you been coping? I think right now the way that I'm feeling, you know, it's that fear feeling that I still have and anxiety because I know that while here in the U.S., here in New York, here in the city, for example, we're in a much better state. I'm seeing what's happening around the world. And I know that we, again, live in a country that's super globalized and that we need to look better outside our borders and do more. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Amy Walters, with Dina Kispe, Priyanka Tove, Nagin Oliai, Alexandra Locke, Ney Alvarez, and me, Malika Bilal. Our story editor is Tom Fenton. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Our engagement producer is Aya El-Milek. And our executive producer is Stacey Samuel. For more of what we're covering, you can always follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AJTheTake and on Facebook at The Take Pod. We'll be back.